What is up, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of the Rewired Soul Podcast. It's your host, Chris. And today we have a very special bonus episode for you. All right. So check it out. Usually I release these bonus episodes that aren't like book related. I release them on like Sundays. But today's guest is Matt Brown from the Decoding Gurus podcast. And I was like, you know what? I'm just going to release this thing early. This is the third podcast of the week, but I made, I made an executive decision. All right. So, uh, I know a lot, a lot of you from my audience are familiar with, uh, the decoding gurus podcast, but yeah, they talk a lot uh, about people from the intellectual dark web, and they've been covering a lot about Joe Rogan and, you know, the COVID misinformation and all that. But anyways, I wanted to have Matt on because, uh, you'll hear me (laughs) tell him in the podcast, but when I, uh, when I found decoding gurus, which was literally just like a few weeks ago, I'm so late to the party. I was like, oh my God, I'm not insane. Some people are actually seeing what I'm seeing. They're seeing these patterns. They're seeing, you know, these people draw people in and just, it's kind of cult-like and kind of weird. And, you know, it's, it's such a strange phenomenon. So I wanted to have Matt on. So we have a great, great conversation, but uh, yeah, it's one of the longer episodes and a good chunk of it is about Joe Rogan and everything going on with the debates around deplatforming him, misinformation, you know, COVID vaccines and all that. And yeah, I just thought it'd be good to get this episode out there before, I don't know, before this whole thing dies down like everything does with the, you know, news cycle that <laughs> just keeps pushing everything out of our consciousness and everything like that. But anyways, uh, yeah, uh, make sure you head down to the description, make sure you're following Matt and his co-host, Chris, and check out the Decoding Gurus podcast. All that stuff's linked down below. Uh, some other topics we talk about, we talk about this uh, this paper that hopefully uh, Chris and Matt will eventually write about what they're finding as they're analyzing these gurus and everything. We talk about other people like uh, James Lindsay. Uh, I even try to convince him to do a follow-up episode on Russell Brand. And we talk about this weird, this weird uh, thing going on where uh, there's like this horseshoe effect where even like left-leaning liberals are kind of like looping around and like becoming this kind of like uh, what we would align with like conservative views, right? So it's really interesting. We have a, a lot a lot to talk about in this episode. But anyways, stick around till the end of this episode because I do want to end with some uh, final thoughts uh, about the whole Joe Rogan situation. So even though this is long, I'm going to I'm gonna talk for a little bit afterwards, all right? But anyways, again, make sure you're following Matt and Chris. Make sure you check out the Decoding Gurus podcast if you haven't yet, okay? But before we get started, if you're not yet, make sure you're following me over on Instagram and Twitter at The Rewired Soul. Uh, I write a ton. I write over on Substack. I've covered a lot of the Joe Rogan stuff as well as a bunch of other topics that I find interesting or I think people aren't talking about, and I share all that on my social media. But that way, you know, you don't miss any upcoming episodes. And I just love talking with all of you beautiful people and having just like interesting conversations. So make sure you're following me. Uh, If you're new to the podcast, make sure you're subscribed. And if you could do me a favor, leave a rating, leave a review over on Apple Podcasts. That helps out a lot. All right. But anyways, without further ado, here's my conversation with Matt Brown from the Decoding Gurus podcast. All right. Hello, Matt. Thanks for, so much for joining me. How are you doing today? 
Good morning, Chris. I'm pretty good. I've uh, I've had a couple of cups of coffee uh, and I'm raring to go. Beautiful. So, so I, I'm late to uh, your podcast, Decoding Guru. So, real quick, uh, I think I think a lot of people from my audience are well aware of who you are. But can you can you give a little bit of your background, your field of study, and all that kind of stuff, and then a brief description of what your podcast is all about. Sure thing. Yeah. Well, me, uh, I'm a professor at, uh, central Queensland university in Australia. Uh, I've been doing that for, Ooh, just over 10 years. Um, uh, before that I was, uh, a research, uh, scientist mainly in a ver variety of places. I'm currently in a psychology department, but I've worked all over the place. I've worked in a robotics lab in Japan and I've worked Ooh. in, um, in sort of atmospheric and, um, and marine sciences at the CSIRO. Fraunhofer Gesellschaft in, uh, Germany. Uh, so I've done a bunch of stuff cause I'm old <laughs> and, I'm old. <laughs> and, uh, and, uh, Chris and I, um, that is, um, um, uh, Chris Kavanagh, um, he, he's, he's an anthropologist, um, uh, with Oxford university who's based in Japan. Um, he and I got together on Twitter, um, well, probably just over a year ago. Um, we, we'd known each other for a little while, but we found ourselves talking more and more about the same sort of set of characters. And we felt like we'd sort of, we, we kept seeing the same kind of features crop up. Um, mm. and, and we didn't know how to group these people or how to define what it is we were talking about. And we eventually landed on the term, uh, secular gurus, mm. right? Because they weren't, you know, religious or spiritual necessarily, but they certainly did have like, like this sort of, um, idiosyncratic. And, you know, um, we sometimes say heterodox, but they're, 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 they're not sort of orthodox characters they're, they're, and they have like a message, you know, a particular view of the world, mm -hmm. these they, uh, particular insights that they're sharing with people. They often have strong views about, you know, how we should be living our lives or changing society. Um, you know, not like your typical academic or, or intellectual type person or a journalist who might have strong views on a particular issue, like, you mm -hmm. know, what we should do about policy on Syria or something like that, but sort of these big encompassing kind of, kind of views. Um, sure. They're often engaged in like culture war type political stuff as well. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah. So, um, we intended to write, um, some articles, some academic articles on this, cause that's what, that's what academics do. Yeah. Um, but to get our thoughts in order, we, we, because we're still figuring it out, I suppose we thought, well, look, at, um, let's, let's, let's record us talking about this stuff and we'll, we'll do a podcast and we'll sort of, it's kind of a way to procrastinate, I suppose, <laughs> instead of writing. Um, mm -hmm. and then, um, so this podcast decoding the gurus, um, ended up, um, taking on a bit of a life of its own. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's, it's crazy. Like I said, I was, I was late to the, uh, the decoding gurus podcast, but I felt like I, I started binging it because I had felt like I'm crazy, right? Like you've seen, I, I know you've read a couple of my Substack pieces, but I'm like, is anybody else noticing what's going on? Right. <laughs> like <laughs> just there's these same patterns. They're speaking to the same people. They're playing into the same things. And you know, something I, I, I discussed was there's a certain group of people and a lot of them are people that you guys discuss where you could take just about any topic. And you'll know where they stand on it before, before you've been talking to them. And I think that's a little bit strange. So, you know, why, why do you, from, you know, all the, all the people you guys have covered, why do you think 
Why do you think it is? I know the word narcissism gets thrown around quite a bit, but it's often like, oh, we're seeing the world differently than everybody else, which is also weird to me because there's millions of people who listen to them collectively. So clearly there's a group of people who do agree with you, right? So how mm. different is your opinion and all that? But what do you, what do you think is driving a lot of this? Uh, yes, I guess there's a couple of ways to answer that. I mean, one way to answer it is in terms of what's driving these characters themselves, you know, mm -hmm. like psychologizing them and trying to figure out what their motivations are and what makes them tick. Um, and um, the other way to think about it is, well, why, what's, what's the market? Like, what's the need, you know, what, what's, uh, what, what are, what are all of us who's consuming, you know, in, information on, on the internet and stuff like that, what, what pulls us towards particular sources rather than others. Mm -hmm. Um, so maybe starting with the last one, I guess, well, first of all, it's obviously the internet. Right. That's a big deal. This, yeah. this kind of thing, like there are always kind of self-help gurus. There are always, you know, idiosyncratic characters. I mean, we've covered people like Carl Sagan on, on our yeah. podcast who, who I love by the way, but I'd still describe him as a bit of a secular guru. Right. Um, just, just not a particularly toxic one. Mm -hmm. Um, cause as well as talking about black holes and things like that, he also did sort of connect that with a kind of a, like a, a worldview one that mm. I happen to quite like. And I think is quite healthy, but still it's kind of guru-esque. Um, so I think we're all attracted to, um, people, um, providing some sort of meaning and doing that kind of sense-making that, um, you know, that's a, that's a phrase that's entered the lexicon now, sense-making. Mm -hmm. Um, but that is what they kind of do. They, um, and the other thing too, I guess, is that they do establish that personal rapport. You know, there's this thing called parasociality, which, um, mm -hmm. anyone who does podcasts or is involved, um, you know, is now familiar with, which again, is not necessarily a toxic thing or a bad thing. I think, I think it can be, can be quite good, but we do develop a kind of a one-way relationship, um, with characters who are doing, you know, extended podcasts or long videos on YouTube, and we've spent so much time with them and there is a a communication of sort of frankness and honesty and directness and what you're hearing from this person isn't filtered by some editorial line and, and isn't, is, isn't filtered by the sort of, you know, the 10 minute sound grabs on CNN or something mm -hmm. like that. It, it feels much more authentic. And so I, I guess we're looking for that as well. Authenticity. So, um, yeah, as well, okay. One final thing is there's that, that great leveling. Yeah. That great leveling. Like it, it, it used to be that, um, you know, to, to, to get a, an audience to, and to write a book or something like that, you'd have to get, get, you know, you'd have to have a publisher and all this stuff or, or to have this, a platform in order to be broadcast into hundreds of millions of people, you needed to be, you know, part of a, some sort of, you know, mm -hmm. um, you know, um, mainstream media and again, you'd have editors and so on. So there's this great leveling, which means everybody has an opportunity to uh, rocket to some kind of celebrity or, or reach a really huge audience. So it, it's kind of, you know, like Richard Dawkins idea of memes and so on. It's mm -hmm. kind of like a Petri dish, right? A to create this hyper competitive, uh, environment for the most effective memes, right? The, the most charismatic characters, yeah. you know, the, the, the most, um, appealing, intuitively appealing and emotionally appealing ideas 
to get sort of selected for and get set straight to, to the top. So um, that's where I think the appeal is coming from on the demand side. Um, but I guess the personality and the character of the gurus is probably a separate question. Yeah, yeah. Well, let's let's discuss that a little bit because I I am oddly obsessed with just self deception and denial, and maybe it's because I'm a uh, I'm a recovering drug addict. I got sober in 2012, and there's a lot of denial and self deception. Like, oh no, everything is fine. I got this under control, right? And you know, it's part of human nature. We we lie to ourselves all the time, right? And I love mm. reading and just trying to understand that. So the big question is, and I. And I, I, I do appreciate how, how you guys are very careful, right? Like you try not to be like, this is a nefarious, terrible person, right? But when it comes to this authenticity that people are drawn to, okay? When these, like I said, you can see these patterns. Like, for example, I, I would just, so Jordan Peterson's top of mind. I was just listening to your guys' episode about Jordan and Brett's uh, conversation. But like Jordan Peterson, right? He's a, you know, psychology. He, he kind of blew up for some of his views on trans stuff and also all his self-help type of things but like without even knowing anything i'm like i think i know where jordan peterson's gonna stand on vaccines mandates and all that stuff and boom i start seeing him tweet about it right mm. so when it comes to that authenticity and this self-awareness or uh even self-deception I, I i don't know how do you guys view this like or how do you view this like do you think they're intentionally like kind of like oh, I'm going to say this. I know it's going to get a lot of likes. I know people are going to tune into this episode. I know it's going to draw on an audience. Or do you think that they truly believe what they're saying? It's so difficult. And I like, I always try to give them the benefit of the doubt, but it's so hard. Like, I'm like, there's no way they believe that's bullshit. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. It is. It is hard to wrap your head around. Um, like the issue that, that I struggle with is, is when you see some of these um, you know, anti, anti vaccine, um, 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 characters who, who are smart people, you know, mm -hmm. they've got a research track record. They've, they've got, they've got relevant degrees and so on. And it's like, you cannot possibly be so ignorant as not to be able to understand these, you know, quite basic statistics. You know, there are some questions that are pretty difficult, you know, scientific empirical questions that are difficult to get your head around. Yeah. But the the question around do vaccines work at preventing hospitalization and death, that's not a particularly complicated one. So, so what's going on? Um, look, I, I, I think the way to, to, to resolve it is that, is that first of all, very, very smart people can delude themselves very badly. That's, that's one of the main things. Um, you know, there's even this phrase called Nobel, Nobel laureate disease or Nobel prize yeah, disease. Where, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And, uh, you know, so even a Nobel laureate it will, will, will <laughs> so often seems to be found saying something like homeopathy will cure cancer or something like that. Um, they've, so people change, people go down rabbit holes. People can have really weird opinions about, about issues that are not connected with their main field of study. And, um, and conspiracy theories and political polarization can affect anyone. So I think, I think I could, so that's sort of the more general stuff, but on a personal level, I think the, the pull of attention yeah, and getting thousands and thousands of people, mm -hmm. you know, clapping their hands together, praising you for being just, just absolutely wonderful. If, if you're, if you're a person who is susceptible to, to that and people who are somewhat further along the narcissistic spectrum are extremely sensitive to praise, then that 
is taken as a confirmation that you are right, that you're on the right track. Um, and you can sort of, um, you know, drink, <laughs> get high on your own supply, I think. So, so the, the, like there's, there's one particular character, James Lindsay, who's a good example of this, yeah. right? Um, many people might be aware of him. And it's not particularly controversial to say that he's changed, man. Yeah. yeah. Like, it, it, like he may have deep down always been like this, but he, had, he is someone who has clearly changed his entire mm -hmm. sort of presentation. Um, and he has followed the attention, you know, he has followed the press and, and, and as he's done that, he's, he's grown his audience. He's probably lost a lot of people on the more reasonable side of the spectrum and gained a lot of the full on partisan crazy people. But from, from his subjective point of view, he's just, he's getting praised and being told that he's right and he's, mm -hmm. he's on the right track and he's saving the world and he's fat, he's a fantastic person again and again and again. So I think the, um, it's like the tail wagging the dog, we, we, you know, um, one of the things that we, um, have talked about with a philosopher, Ty Nguyen was really interesting, which is like the degree to which you have audience capture and the audience driving it as much as the guru themselves. Yeah. Yeah. No, it, I, I think that's where I empathize a little bit too, because in 2019, uh, my YouTube channel was just exploding, like blown up that just faster pace than I could imagine. And yeah, I started getting high on my own supply. Right. And, and it's, it was hard to stick to my, you know, the reasons I started making content and everything like that. And like you're saying, like the audience can start driving your content, you know, what's working, you see what people are talking about. And then you start to craft your content around that rather than what you actually believe. And, uh, it took me a while to step back and realize that that was happening to me. And I think that's why I try to like empathize, but yeah, in the instance of James Lindsay, there's so many people who are, I'm just like, okay, maybe you don't realize it, but he seems like a, a very different case <laughs> where I'm like, no, cause he, you know, he gets happy about his own trolling and all these other things. I'm like, all right, I think you're very intentional with what you're doing, but, um, you know, I, I'm curious with this and, you know, looking at this and kind of analyzing it and you and Chris originally thinking about writing a paper or something on this, like, what, what would that look like? What, what, you know, now that you guys have some episodes and stuff, it's been over a year, you have all this time uh, under your belts, like what would a research paper about this guru or IDW phenomenon mm -hmm. kind of look like? Yeah. Um. So it would, um, we've got more than enough material now to write <laughs> a bevy of papers and, and we do, we promise we will, we will, we will. Um, but, um, um, you know, I could, in terms of the uh, sort of an academic -y type paper, um, what we would do, what we need to do is, is basically go through these, these facets or dimensions or aspects of gurus that we think we've identified and basically run through those and look at how these different features often seem to turn up in varying degrees in the same people. Mm -hmm. Um, so, you know, I, I've hinted at some of those already. So you've got this, uh, I, I'll, I'll give you some of the names just to give you a hint about some of these things. So this, um, we, we, they're, they're tongue in cheek names. Um, so galaxy brainness, that kind of, that kind of, uh, you know, having, having this polymathic ability across all these different, um, fields. I mean, you know, Brett and Heather Weinstein, for instance, they've, they, they, they take their purported expertise in evolutionary biology and, and take that as the, the secret, the, the, the key that yeah. unlocks pretty much every question in, in life. Um, um, 
this, this cultish kind of feature, which you kind of talked about that kind of interplay. And you see a lot of them do this kind of gatekeeping and management, like they'll, they'll pray, like, you know, if they're, they have disciples or, or fans who are extremely loyal and, and agree with everything and attack the people who disagree, um, you know, then they'll get showered with praise and, and, and so on. There is, there is some social manipulation at play. Um, but look, some of the really key stuff that, um, is kind of crucial to them is that they're almost all, um, anti-establishment. Mm. Yeah. You're not going to find a guru who says, yes, the, um, you know, the, the CDC and, um, the NIH, uh, NIH sometimes makes mistakes, isn't always correct, but you know, broadly speaking, they're, they're correct. And this is why, right. And, um, you know, I, this is where Carl Sagan, for instance, is not a toxic guru because he would, um, provide an accurate view, say of the current understanding of astronomy and so on. But the, the, the current crop of secular gurus really make their mark and really define a niche for themselves by setting themselves in opposition to the establishment sources of knowledge, right? It could be the universities, which apparently are completely corrupted by, by wokeness and yeah. left-wing ideologies. So you can't trust them. It, um, it could be the government, which is in the pocket of big business and, you know, yeah. is, is out to get you or whatever. So that's connected with the conspiracy theories, right? Most of them do indulge in one degree or another in, in these, um, um, conspiracy theories. And, you know, the, the, the recent, um, controversy with Joe Rogan and, and his guests, McCulloch and Malone, like the conspiracy theories outlined there and fully, um, supported, um, by Joe Rogan, it must be said, ah, that shit crazy. Right. Yeah. According, according to those, according to those conspiracy theories, um, Fauci and Johns Hopkins and other actors, maybe in collaboration with the Chinese, deliberately created and released this virus yeah. um, in order to put the population into a state of fear and suppressed life-saving mm -hmm. uh, treatments like ivermectin um, and hydroxychloroquine um, in order to force everyone to, well, first of all, control them generally, but also force them to take vaccines, which don't work and will also kill you <laughs> Yeah, for some nefarious purposes that are unspecified. Now that's an example of a conspiracy theory. Now they're not always that extreme, but you'll find in most of the gurus, there are elements of conspiracy theories. So I could go on, but, um, I, I, you know, I might stop there and just say, you know, you can see there that there are, there are anecdotal sort of evidence, I suppose, from, from the various gurus that we need to collect together and just present. Yeah. And we can also relate this to, you know, the academic, the psychological, the sociological literature, because, because we know a lot about how conspiracy theories work, about how cults work, mm -hmm. um, about how narcissism works. So yeah, yeah I think yeah. it should be interesting. Yeah. It almost seems like building like a personality profile, right? <laughs> like, yeah. you know, yeah. and, and like these warning signs to look out for, but you know, this is something that actually just came to me because yesterday I, I, I was recording an episode with Michael Baxter, who uh, wrote a book on innovation, right? Uh, human frontiers and talks about stagnation and innovation and all that. And I'm curious because they're, they're just kind of, you know, with these gurus, there's this like anti-establishment and, you know, the galaxy brain myth. like, I'm thinking, I'm looking at things differently. And, you know, one would argue that that's where some of the greatest achievements have come from, right? It's just having these wild and crazy ideas. So where, where do you think, you know, like you're a researcher too, like, where do you think that balance comes in with 
you know, having those really out there, like I'm thinking different type ideas and then, you know, just, just being totally off the rails, like, uh, something that I've, I've noticed that you guys, uh, you guys see as a pattern with a lot of these gurus is, uh, you know, I, whether it was like Gad sad or like Brett or whoever it is, they're presenting something as though it's like this profound, nobody's ever thought of this and they're just wording it in a weird way, but it's like, no, this is something that we already know of and it's been around for ages. So, <laughs> so yeah, where, where's that balance between innovative ideas, you know, so we can move forward with technology research, whatever. And then like just mm. being one of these gurus who's just not even aware of we are, we're mm. already, we already have this stuff, you know? Yeah. No, it's actually, it's very much true. Like the, one of the best, like we're almost figuring out like a, it's almost like a guidebook on how to be a guru, but one of the best tricks that you can do is, is take some like relatively well known, like within like some, some insight or some theory from within a discipline that might not be publicly that well known. All right. Put it into your own words. All right. And, and around that, maybe add a bit of flair, right? It could be a bit crazy, sort of reachy type unsupported stuff just to make it a bit sexier and then present it as your own thing that you've, you've discovered, right? Mm -hmm. People will eat that up with a spoon. Um, it'll be kind of true. Yeah. The part that's true will not be new. And <laughs> the part mm -hmm. that isn't true, <laughs> I'm sorry, that, that is new won't be true, but that's okay. The whole thing will sell fantastically. And that gets done a lot. Um, look, um, you know, people like the, uh, Heather and Brett Weinstein explicitly compare themselves to Galileo, right? So that they, they mm -hmm. do do these, um, so those comparisons, are and they make that argument, right? That this, um, that the, that you need these people that are, that are, that are brave enough, adventurous enough, open-minded enough, right? To, to explore the new horizons. Um, and implicit in this is that the, the conventional people people who are not gurus are, are somehow constrained within this very narrow window and are mm. too afraid to explore new ideas or debate ideas, right? Now that is, in, I feel largely untrue. Um, there is like, for instance, let's take the lab leak, um, hypothesis surrounding, um, um, COVID now that that is something that, that is, that's a topic about which that is said, right? Yeah. That, it, that, that is not being considered properly within respectable circles and, and, and you need these outlier people to sort of push that forward. Um, that's really not true. <laughs> like, like there have been heaps of, heaps of articles published by standard researchers considering the evidence, like it's it's debated and been talked about at length mm -hmm. within, within normal scientific medical circles. Um, what's not done is, is treating some sort of random little thing as, as this smoking gun and drawing these unsupported inferences and basically pushing, um, a particular perspective that is not supported by the evidence. Mm -hmm. So it, it's a, you can see that it can be a bit of a trick, you know, to present the orthodoxy as being, you know, uh, you know, um, have this tunnel vision yeah. and so on. And, uh, so it's a bit of a trick there. Um, look, and we actually wrote, um, Chris and I wrote an article, um, called you're probably not Galileo in response <laughs> to, uh, Brett, <laughs> Brett and Heather. Um, because, you know, the thing to remember is that, you know, big advances in a discipline, uh, especially today, but even back in the day when, you know, you could be a kind of a natural philosopher and be kind of like, like, like Newton and kind of be a bit of an expert of, at everything. Mm -hmm. Um, cause we knew so much less, right? Yeah. Now the, the boundaries of knowledge have expanded so much that those people don't really 
um, exist, right? You need to specialize because, um, yeah. Um, now, but even, but even then as of, as today, like these, you know, big, you know, earth shattering insights and big new strides forward are not made mm. by someone sitting at home in front of their microphone like us, yeah. right? They're not, they're not revealed on a podcast. Right. Yeah. They they they're not done sitting in your armchair just speculating about stuff. Right. They they they're done by working scientists. Right. Um. Yeah. So, um. You know. And so, ninety nine times out of hundred, well, more than that. It's hard to say how often. Like like every physicist gets, um. You know, um. Crazy stuff sent to them by cranks who think <laughs> that they've figured out a theory of everything. Right, yeah. like like Eric Weinstein claims to have with his um, uh, you know, whatever it's called, I've forgotten it. Um, you know, most you know. So anyway, um, yeah. So I guess that's my that's my rejoinder to that. I I like you know, has as someone who works in you know, uh, you know, as a, as a, as a researcher, and I've worked across a bunch of different fields. Yeah. In in the in the softer sciences as well as the harder sciences. Uh, there's heaps of innovation going on. Yeah. There's yeah. heaps of debate. Um, there's heaps of heterodoxy. Um, the way that science and academia and various institutions are portrayed in by the gurus and in some of the popular media is just not accurate. Yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, it's something that I've been thinking about a lot lately, just, you know, completely outside the realm of this topic, kind of, uh, I've been trying to figure out why people love like Ayn Rand, uh, Ayn Rand's philosophy and all, all this individualism. And I've noticed when reading those books, a lot of these like, uh, uh, big, you know, innovations are, it, it's all attributed to like one person, right? Like for example, a apples and all booms, uh, Steve jobs. Uh, then there's Jeff Bezos, there's Bill Gates. And, you know, I'm like, no, this, this isn't the real story. There's, there's teams of people. There's a lot of people, right? And, uh, you know, uh, what is it? It's, uh, Isaac Newton's quote, like, you know, if I see mm. further, it's only by standing on the shoulders of giants. Right. But yeah. we like that narrative of, oh, this one person. And yeah. yeah, like you said, like with, with, with the realm of knowledge that we have now, someone's not just going to be sitting there and just like, aha, I figured yeah. this out with nobody else as when you have yeah. just yeah. so much, you know, uh, not enough funding, but funding going into research, all these people, yeah. you know, toying around with ideas, but, yeah. um, Something else I, I've noticed too is there's kind of like closed loop, right? With these gurus where they're all kind of like talking to each other. And uh, I think a great example, you have like Dr. Uh, Carl, uh, um, oh, Robert Malone and then uh, uh, McCullough. Like they're like, oh yeah, I was talking to like Malone's like, I was talking to McCullough and he agrees with this. And McCullough's like, yeah, I was talking to Malone. And that's like, okay. And then they, they, they have this kind of delusion that these other people are challenging them when it's really just a bunch of yes men and they're yeah. all just kind of feeding off yeah. each other but uh you know i wanted yeah. to ask you too uh like how like how do you and chris make sure that you avoid some of these things especially if you were going to write a paper on this for example right how mm -hmm. do you uh know that you're getting the proper type of feedback and someone's challenging you correctly you know what i mean because this is something that i try to you know work on when i'm going through my own like thoughts and everything like that it's like i don't want people agreeing with me just because you know mm. yeah um well firstly you're right um you know like i actually um you know broadly speaking and uh, i was you know positively disposed to the whole sort of heterodox movement you know i was almost joined um the heterodox 
thing, um, you know, local chapter or whatever in Australia. Cause I, yeah. I generally like the idea, you know, philosophers too, you know, they, they like the idea of like, um, being a bit like Peter Singer, who, mm-hmm. who is known for these, you know, playing with completely controversial ideas. Like you can't say that. That's, I, I, you, you yeah, can, you, I love it, that guy. It, yeah. You know, like that's, that's thought, like it may be, it, you know, it, it may be not directly correct, but it. It's thought provoking and challenge and challenges you. So in principle, the idea is great, but what we see in practice is that these characters, you know, do align a hundred percent, it seems on so many, on so many issues. Um, and they, they talk so much about being the ones who are willing and able to have those tough conversation and those debates, mm-hmm. but then they spend three hours just clapping each other on the back and telling each other how wonderful they are and how they're saving Western civilization with this conversation. Um, so, um, how do we avoid it? Well, I mean, one of the things we do is we, is we, we have a, like a writer reply for, for anyone we criticize, they are welcome on the podcast and they get to say, um, their piece. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, so, and this is even true of people we haven't covered so people who want to criticize us. So for instance, we had on, um, a chap called Daniel Harper, who, um, is quite a strong sort of, um, uh, communist, I guess you would say, yeah. uh, you know, very much politically from that end. And from, from his point of view, we were kind of, our criticism of gurus was too, was too faint. You know what I mean? We, mm. we weren't calling them out for the, for the, you know, the structural, um, um, racist, et cetera, polit- we, we weren't calling them out for political stuff. We we're calling them out on sort of intellectual mm-hmm. grounds, I guess you would say. So he had a problem with us. So we had him on and he, he spoke at length about, about his issues and we tried to respond. We had Sam Harris took us up on, on, on that invitation. And, you know, if anyone has listened to that, you'll know that, you know, he got, he got his airtime, right? He, yeah. he's, he, he took up most of the time and, and, um, it pushed back very hard. Um. I think, um, one, one of the ways we're trying to avoid getting sucked into any of those little rabbit holes, cause I think it's always possible, um, is to try to avoid the political lens, you know, like yeah. you can criticize a lot of these people on political grounds and Chris and I try to be very upfront about, look, this is where our political sympathies lie. They're not very interesting. We're like yeah. <laughs> left-wing liberals, <laughs> like a lot of people, um, but they're, they're like, we generally do not, our, our motivation is genuinely not political. Right. And so we, we do, we will have problems with people across the spectrum. Um, and you know, for what we think is unclear thinking, um, deceptive language, uh, mm. and so on. So, but, you know, having, having said all that, you know, I definitely can see the, you know, most of our audience is, you know, doesn't, don't like sort of right wing reactionary type stuff. So if we cover a right-wing reactionary type person and we'll get lots of cheers and, you know, um, claps yeah. and so on. Whereas if we're, you know, we might be covering someone who is intellectually really not good, but if they're kind of politically on, on the left, maybe they wouldn't be so enthusiastic. So look, I don't have a good answer for you. I guess the proof is the pointing. I mean, be skeptical, like anyone yeah. listening to any of us. Uh, should be skeptical and not assume that um, we're always managing to do that because none of us are special. None of us have like a privileged kind of bird's eye view on everything. Yeah. We're all vulnerable to it. Um, us as much as anyone. We're a couple of mediocre academics with a podcast. That's it. <laughs>
No, I, I always tell people because I have a lot of books in rotation. I always try to keep one in rotation, just reminding me of my own, my own biases and thinking errors and stuff like that. Like, uh, because even like Daniel Kahneman, right? He's like, hey, I'm not invincible to these things either. Like these things happen. But um, I, I, I wanted to, you know, branch off of that whole like kind of closed loop and, you know, patting each other on the back because these uh, these gurus, they do present themselves as like, oh, hey, like, hey, let's have a conversation. I just want to have a conversation. And uh, I think I think we might have chatted about this a little on Twitter, but uh, from my experience, there is no conversation. So it, it's actually been guys you've covered like Nassim Taleb, I asked him a question about one of his opinions and he called me like a fucking idiot and he blocked me, right? Yeah. <laughs> like, uh, Gad said, his recent book, uh, I review all the books I read. I wrote, you know, I wrote what I thought was a fair review. Uh, I even like took out the word grifter in one point. I tried to be yeah. as nice as possible. He blocked me. Dave Rubin blocked me. Yeah. So like, what, what do you think that is? Or do you think that like, are there any gurus that are better than others and like, where they're willing to have those conversation but it seems like for as much as they're out there because it seems like one of the ideas is like oh hey let's let's share ideas and all these other things they're really very they're really sensitive if that's that's the only (laughs) thing i can think of is like it feels like they're very very sensitive and i guess i get it because i'm sure they get a bunch of people just harassing them all day so they might have that quick trigger finger to block but at a certain point i'm like wow that was really like that was very minor watching you block this person or even a wonderful person like myself. You know what I mean? Yes. Yes. <laughs> yes you're clearly not a troll. I can see that. Yeah. Um, I, um, yeah, no, I mean, look, yeah, it's true. You've got to make allowances for, for, for Twitter and social media. Um, and, and if someone's a bit famous, then, um, they could, uh, you know, you, gotta, you, you make some allowances, but I still think what you say is true. Um, they do tend to have some thin skins. They do tend to react extraordinarily strongly to criticism. And I don't see them ever compromising. Um, and so, you know, I think that fits with the guru kind of thing. Like you cannot, like in a, in a traditional kind of cult or a religious movement, you, you cannot criticize the leader, right? It's there, it's his way or the highway. And, um, that's, that's how they work. Um, you know, if you praise the leader and you do, and you do, and you subscribe to everything hundred percent and you're an enthusiastic repeater of, of their ideas, then you'll get praised and be, being described as, you know, super insightful and, and someone who, who really sees further than most and so on. And if you disagree, then, you know, at first they might make a big deal of being disappointed in you. And it's such a shame, you know, and you, you see, I mean, not all of them are equal, right? I mean, the, you know, we're not, we're not putting people into a, like a, like a flat category in which everyone is the same. So, you know, to his credit, someone, um, like, um, oh, uh, Sam Harris, yeah, you know, um, has been good. And Nassim Taleb, even though he is something of an obnoxious ass, um, is t- to his credit, not um, not, not someone who participates in that kind of back scratching, back padding thing and, and seems to just, you know, have his, he'll have his own take on whatever. And, um, so he's, so he's quite willing to criticize other gurus too. Um, and you know, you see the reactions to that, like, it's not, it's not, they don't react well. Um, so mm-hmm. the people, various characters, um, Claire Lehman, for instance, is, is a kind of, a um, an editor of Quillette magazine, um, yeah. an Australian was associated with some, you know, somewhat right-wing views in some respects. 
but has been, become recently increasingly disenchanted yeah. around, especially driven by COVID because of, of where a lot of the gurus have gone. She hasn't been shy about her criticism. Her criticisms have been valid on this topic, totally mm-hmm. valid and expressed quite well, but they, she was, she's immediately portrayed as someone who was mis- for mysterious reasons, kind of gone crazy or succumbed to yeah, the, I, you, it, you know, that's been interesting to watch. <laughs> it ha- yeah. So, so much, so much for heterodoxy, right? You know, yeah. you, you, you need to be on board with it or you'll get excluded pretty quick. And you know, the same thing happened to Sam Harris when, when, yeah. when he criticized them on those grounds as well. Yeah. And, and you know. Speaking of, let's 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 talk Rogan for just a little bit because this week, the last two weeks, I guess, have been just absolutely insane with all the controversy around Spotify and everything. But uh, Joe Rogan, he you know addressed it. A lot of people are like, I, I think I replied to Chris, like a lot of people are kind of uh, uh, seeing it as an apology. I just kind of saw it as him like addressing it, not really like yeah. apologizing. He's like, hey, here are my thoughts on it and all this. But even I think uh, I think Sam Harris, yeah. Sam Harris even like, oh, hey, good on Joe for doing this. But something that you guys pointed out that like I, I like I, I saw it, but I didn't really recognize it was that uh, people like Joe Rogan who say, hey, I'm just I'm in the middle. I just ask questions, but it's always one pointing at one direction. And something that I've noticed and I, I wrote about it was just, for example, when he had uh, Malone and McCullough on. During I, I listened to both three hour episodes. There's this like idea that nobody listens to it and they just yeah. criticize. But I'm like, yeah. no, I spent six hours yeah. of my life. <laughs> but Me anyways, too. That's right. Yeah. We should yeah. form a club. <laughs> but, uh, maybe you've noticed this too, since you've had to listen to these. But when he has those guys on who agree with his opinions, that uh, his little assistant Jamie like doesn't even exist. There's no fact checking, nothing. Right. I think um, maybe in the McCullough one, there was like one fact check. Right. But mm. then when he had uh, Josh Zepps on, I counted it and he fact checked Josh like four or five times within the first half hour. Right. Yeah. yeah. So when Joe, this is where that idea of self-deception comes in, because when Joe addressed this situation, he's like, hey, I just bring people on with different opinions and I try to you know, push back and challenge. But it doesn't it doesn't seem like he realizes like if I, I think if he quantified how often he fact checked people, like I wonder if that would like give him an aha moment or he just he has that biased blind spot. Like what are your thoughts on that? Because it's it's yeah. interesting to watch. Oh, I have a lot of thoughts about that. Um <laughs> uh yeah, so so look, Joe Rogan's often described as a big dummy, and when it comes to his epistemics, he certainly is, right? He's someone who struggles. He's someone who believed the moon landing was a hoax. He's vulnerable to conspiracy theories, and he's he's just not very good at at getting his head around um, scientific reality based things. That being said, he's got great instincts. Yeah, he's he's got great social intelligence, and mm-hmm. he. Uh, he and that apology video was extremely well crafted. Um, as you said, it's 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 sorry, not sorry, right? Yeah. He's, he 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 doesn't he's not he doesn't really apologize for anything. It's a defense and a justification. And as you say, it's quite misleading. Yeah, because because he presents. I mean, like it comes across really well. He comes across as big hearted 
as look, I'm just this guy, I'm trying to make this podcast. It's become really successful. I like talking to people because it's interesting to talk to people. I'm not very prepared a lot of the time. I'm just trying to figure stuff out. I've got an open mind. And you know, if, if you take him at face value, he's made a few missteps and people are jumping on him for, for getting it wrong. Right. Yeah. Now, as you say, that's not true, right? That's not a fair reflection of what he's actually been doing when he has someone who is presenting like an orthodox view, um, and not crazy conspiracy theories. Yeah. He's fact checking them at a mile a minute. He's evincing extreme skepticism mm-hmm. and he doesn't come to the party just with, with, with no background. In fact, after like in the apology video, he mentioned how he enjoyed his talk with, and I've forgotten the name, um, uh, Sanjay, Gupta? Sanjay Gupta. Thank you. He said, oh, I enjoyed that. I got a lot out of that talk. He, he was crowing about owning Sanjay Gupta. Yeah. He disagreed with Sanjay. He said, I, he's got a folder labeled cooties with, with all of the research, yeah. right? And yeah. he said, oh, Sanjay Gupta thought he was going to come and kind of just like explain stuff to me. But I, I, you know, he was surprised because I knew stuff. I had it all figured out. So he, he was not coming. So that was someone representing just a normal <laughs> worldview, right? And, and Rogan was coming to it, not as not as just a guy having a conversation or someone who is, you know, doesn't have any dog in the fight, but as someone as, as an activist, right? Someone with strong pre-existing worldviews and, and he felt that he had won that debate against Sanjay Gupta. When, uh, when he comes to McCulloch and Malone, as you say, there's no fact checking. He's, he's, he asked these leading questions, breathless leading questions, uh-huh. which basically presume that everything they've said is right. You know, he calls them, you're saying that people need to rise up in, you know, at, at this, at the, at, at the terrible stuff that's going on. Um, he, he basically is on board like a hundred percent on board. So he's not a disinterested person on, on certain uh-huh. topics. Look, that being said, like a lot of people defending Joe sort of remember Joe Rogan from a lot of his other podcasts, you know, and he's done podcasts on all kinds of, you know, he's done all kinds of interviews on all yeah. kinds of stuff. And, you know, he could do on, on topics that are not connected to one of his conspiracy theories or are not connected with one of like, he's, he's very political character as well. Um, just a separate topic. If it's not connected to political polarization or conspiracy theories, then, um, he's perfectly, he's fine. You know what I mean? He, he is, yeah. um, but on these topics, it's, it's really quite dangerous. Um, and I find it quite frustrating because, um, the question of whether or not say Spotify should continue its, you know, hundred contract worth hundreds of millions of dollars or whether mm-hmm. it should exert any kind of like restrictions or what Joe does, um, is presented as well at that censorship, right? So you just got to. Well, I, there's difficult questions around this, but it's not censorship. Censorship is done by the government, right? Saying that it's illegal, mm-hmm. right? To say such a thing. Like it, it is not sent, not, not censoring doesn't mean that a company or a person is obligated to participating in spreading like very dangerous health misinformation. Yeah. So, which is basically what you're saying to someone like Spotify. So it's perfectly okay. I would say for, for Spotify to choose to withdraw from that relationship because they shouldn't be obligated to help Joe spread, um, ideas, which, you know, have been proven to directly lead to death basically. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you know, when it, you know, go back to the whole fact checking thing, I think when I first started noticing this and I wanted to like start keeping track because, uh, you know, um, 
I used to listen to Rogan a lot more, but as soon as I saw him like kind of going down this path, it was even pre-COVID. I was yeah. like, I kind of see you like mm, slant. But anyways, when he had Malone on and Malone was saying that hospitals are getting paid $3,000 for like every COVID death and they're like covering them up and like saying like a gunshot wound is a COVID death. And Joe Rogan didn't even blink. He didn't say like, wait, really? Like, do you have any proof? He did just nothing. I'm like, you're just letting all of this information just wash over you as, as though it's fact, no matter how out there, you know, it is. And, and yeah, it's, it's been really interesting. And like you said, uh, uh, we had Sanjay Gupta on and I'm curious, I'm curious too, because this seems like a broader societal problem, right? Because uh a lot of this has to do with like intellectual humility right it's it's something that i never had until i got sober when i realized like hey maybe i don't know everything right Mm -hmm. but it's not just these gurus it's not just the host but the people listening i i'm sure you get it all the time you're you're an academic you have years of experience you have twitter randos just coming to you calling you an idiot right have you noticed this and what do you, do you think like it's, it's the internet and the availability of information? Like what's making people think that they're so damn smart that they're yeah. like, just like, Oh, did you see me own that PhD person? <laughs> Even though I'm just some like guy who like sits in my house. Like it's like, I'm a college dropout. And I recognize that I read, I do what I can, but it's just interesting when I see people think that they just took down someone who's been researching for decades, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, um, yeah, so one nuance to that is there are a bunch of people with PhDs and academics, who, including me, that are by no means brilliant or super <laughs> smart, smarty pants. So, you know, the, um, so, you know, it's not like, it's not like, uh, yeah, so uh, I don't want to imply that you know, unless you've got whatever credentials or something like yeah, that. Not, you know, not the yeah, not the elitism and all that. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's, that's not right. Um, but, um. Yeah, we're, look, 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 in some sense, none of it's new. I mean, like, say Joe Rogan talking conspiracy theories with pals or talking about how the America's going to hell in a handbasket because of the, the lefties or whatever, right? Mm-hmm. That, those sorts of conversations happen on people's back porches all the time and have always happened long before the internet came along. But, but the thing that um, social media and internet generally has, has done is it's, it's done this great leveling where, mm. where there are no, there, uh, there is less and less. And you know, the, the inner, the inner workings of institutions are, are more in, in the details that there's more and more information and, and there's more information about how the sausage is made. So yeah, perhaps a lot of the mystique that, um, might've previously been attached to these institutions has evaporated. Um, but it's like a little bit of knowledge is a dangerous thing. Like, you know, the you know, like there'll be some email or some document, you know, that service, you know, that, you know, and you know, like heaps of dumb, stupid stuff happens in government universities. Of course it does. You yeah, know what I mean? Yeah. Um, and, and, you know, so, but of course the worst of the worst is, is what will come out. And so there's this, there's a decrease in confidence in institutions. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think that misses the big picture. Like if you look at the, at the progress that's occurred over the last 300 years, mm. right. It, it's happened due to these technocratic systems, um, you know, whether it's a, you know, national healthcare system or, or whether it's a, a research institutes or whatever. I mean, the fact that we, um, you know, 
most of us in the first world are, are living extraordinarily comfortable lives compared to, it is due to these institutions and they haven't really changed, but our perception of them has changed. Um, so as well as that, obviously the internet gives every single person a platform and we all have an equal opportunity to make our voice heard. Now in that kind of environment, it is not the most qualified, the most expert guy or, or girl who is there busy researching away, writing their papers for journals, right? Working in the lab, mm -hmm. collecting data, doing statistics. These people don't have the skills or the time to become a big hit yeah. on the internet, right? If you look at the people who become a big hit on the internet, these are the people who don't do that stuff. These are mm -hmm. the people who spend all their time focusing at building skills on becoming a big hit on the internet, yeah. right? which is exactly what these people specialize in. So, um, yeah, it kind of, um, yeah, I, if I, if I could just wave a magic wand and see one sort of, sort of change in sort of public awareness, I, it would be that it would be, you know, if we could just get a greater awareness that the people who specialize in sounding convincing in, in sounding, um, trustworthy in, in, um, in saying things that feel intuitively and emotionally appealing. Yeah. Just, you know, please raise your skepticism, Bob, for those people and maybe give some time, just pay attention to the, to the, the voices that are actually real, like it, whatever the topic is, let's say it's a scientific topic. Yeah. Pay attention to the people with the genuine expertise because they're out there. They're just not the loudest voices and, and they may not have the glamour and the charisma yeah. that these other people have. Yeah, no, that's, uh, that's literally one of the reasons I started this podcast. I just have this natural curiosity, uh, curiosity. I read these books from academics. I'm like, you know, these, uh, publishers that just published those books, but I want the average person to hear about these topics. Cause there's a lot of very important work going on, especially all the people researching polarization, misinformation stuff going on. Like there's a lot of people researching this stuff, but like you said, it's hard to find that combination of someone who's doing the hard research and they're also very charismatic and out there yeah. and doing these yeah. things. It's almost yeah. like we need to like pair up researchers with their own like PR person who yeah. can go out there and, and do this stuff. But, you know, uh, so, something I want to ask, like going back to kind of the Spotify and Joe Rogan conversation, since, since you, you guys have a growing podcast that, you know, it's gained a lot of traction, especially during COVID with all this stuff going on. But uh, just your thoughts around like, responsibility as a host, right? Because Joe Rogan's always like, Hey, don't listen to me. I'm just, I'm just a guy with a podcast. You know, I never knew it'd get this big, you know? Um, and, uh, I saw this with, you know, uh, when my YouTube channel blew up too, because when you cover something and I'm sure you guys take this into consideration, which is why I respect that you guys like, don't try to try not to go too hard on people is your fans can just go after someone and harass them. Right. So, mm -hmm. um, you know, Joe Rogan, like I like I get it because there's this invisible line that you cross where when you guys first started your podcast, right? Like how many listeners did you have yeah. compared yeah. to now? And yeah. there's this line that you cross and nobody knows where that line is, where now you have a big audience. Now you have a certain amount of influence. So how much responsibility do you see like someone having uh, for their audience? Like how much do you and Chris take that into consideration? How much do you see uh, some of these gurus, like what responsibility do they have to get out the right information, say the right things, not send their audience to go attack people that they might 
be covering. You know what I mean? Mm, yeah. Um, yeah, well, I, I think, yeah, look, I think we, everyone has that responsibility. Um, I agree with you there. Um, and we hadn't really thought about it either, as you said, because at the big, we didn't expect to get big, um, or bigger, (laughs) we expected to be this super niche type thing and continue that way. Um, and it, it becomes more of an issue when one is covered, one brings up someone who was a smaller figure. Yeah, it doesn't and like so. If it's someone who's really big, then even if you have a reasonably big audience, then then it's like little flea bites. You know what I mean? That that is public. It's like it's like saying um, you know Biden's a you know senile. You know he's, a, he's yeah. an old idiot, right? I mean you know Biden doesn't care, right? There's he, there's a, there's a million other people saying that. Okay. Um, but you know, like we we struck this when we were covering Gadsad, actually, and along the way, he we his in his material, he was doing an interview with um, another um, you know um, YouTuber um, a podcaster called Chris Williamson. Yeah. Okay, so so um, in that podcast, um, in our view, Chris was being quite credulous and just kind of lapping up everything that Gadsad was saying enthusiastically, even when in our view outside was saying the most <laughs> stupid self-aggrandizing yeah. nonsense right um so um so we uh criticized chris quite strongly using strong language and you know it was kind of tongue-in-cheek and we we we, we, we did we did say stuff like oh no no that's too mean or whatever but we did you know it's meant to be a fun relaxed kind of podcast and we're, we're, we let ourselves be a little bit snarky there so chris we got in touch with chris, chris williamson got in touch and um, eventually came and come on to have a talk with us about the effect that that had on him oh. because a lot of people that he other you know podcasters other people in the community that he respected a lot listened to our podcast and listened to us basically laughing and and making you know and 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 so he um so he made a, a very good defense of himself you know a- acknowledged you know where and uh, the, the point, the, you know, many of the underlying points we were making, uh, acknowledged the the truth in them. And for our part, we, um, you know, acknowledged that, you know, we sort of went a little bit too far. You know, we didn't, it didn't really cross our mind that yeah. having a bit of fun there would have had um, a, an impact on this character, Chris Willis. He wasn't even the main topic of the show. It was meant to be about Gatsad. Yeah. So, yeah, look, I mean, it's just one. So, look, by the way, we're still in touch with Chris Williamson. So the outcome of that was super positive, right? Mm. Because he's, he's, you know, I don't, I don't have, I have a very different worldview from, <laughs> from Chris, I think, right? Yeah. Um, but, I, you know, he, he seems to be a, a, a nice guy who is, um, is trying his best. And he, he's certainly very um, pleasant and um, approachable. So, um, you know, I think that, and I, I think that there's some, something positive comes out of us having this continuing dialogue with him even though we kind of live in completely different worlds, like he, he's kind of in the sort yeah. of influencer type young men, you know, how to be attractive to women kind, <laughs> yeah. of, kind of field. Um, so it's like different worlds, but you know, that's, that's a healthy thing. So look, I look, I don't basically, my answer is, I don't know. Um, we're, we're just trying to navigate it like everyone else. Yeah. 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 No, it's, it's weird too, because, uh, you know, the other thing that the internet does is you never know when something's just going to go viral, right? Like you could just make something very small or, or say, for example, like, cause you know, like if you're punching up, right. But all of a sudden, if that episode goes viral, now all of a sudden you're punching up turns into punching down and yeah. it's a difficult thing. And I, I hope people in the audience understand that aspect too because 
those of us who create content, you never know what's going to just kind of explode and like, oh crap, I wish I could have gone back and been a little bit more careful or, <laughs> you yes. know, or, or whatever, because I, yeah, I've, I've seen that happen one too many times, but, um, you know, uh, with, with the whole misinformation thing too, um, like I've had, uh, you know, a lot of people on here who write about, you know, freedom of speech and all this other stuff and, you know, drown out, uh, bad ideas with good ideas and mm. all that kind of stuff. And, you know, that, I guess that's one of the reasons why I appreciate your guys' podcast, because you point out the flaws in each individual argument. And I think that's like the best thing, right? Like I would, I would ask everybody who gets infected by one of these gurus to listen to your guys' episode to get a little bit of the antidote, but you know, you kind of mentioned that, you know, Spotify does, you know, they don't have to promote this, this kind of information. And mm. I, I'm just, I'm just curious, like, uh, you know, your overall thoughts, right? Because it seems like, I'll give you an example that you can, yeah, you'll, you know, be able to relate to when, when COVID started before the, uh, social media platforms really purged QAnon, uh, this QAnon YouTuber, he made a video, all these crazy COVID conspiracy theories. This was even before vaccines, right? And I made a video debunking it, right? Pointing out his bad arguments, what's bad science, all these other things. And YouTube wrongfully gave my channel a strike and took the video down, right? I appealed it to a human. Uh, yep. The human said, nope, we stand by it. And it took me getting my media contacts to pressure YouTube in order to reverse it. So I guess when I see, you know, this idea of like, uh, you know, um, uh, platforms controlling what, what misinformation is, I'm like, with these algorithms still like in their infancy, I don't <laughs> trust that. So that's one of my concerns, yeah. but, uh, but yeah, so that's kind of where mm -hmm. I, I stand and I, I get curious cause I think there are podcasts like yours where you make valid points, even though I don't think a lot of Joe Rogan's audience is coming over to see what you guys have to say or whatever, but uh what what are your kind of like overall thoughts like do you think that there's a downside if spotify were to remove that do you think that could affect other mm. you know like mm. have some like uh collateral damage you know what i mean yeah yeah no look it's a it's a interesting problem i think um so yeah look first of all that happens to everyone right like like i like chris chris kavanaugh was just complaining like like he was saying he's a very sarcastic person and he he was saying very sarcastically oh yes and the and fauci was you know you know conspired to kill people and you know it this very sarcastic thing and and he got a you know got a you know a twitter thing you know what i mean yeah. so he had to delete that you know what i mean he could have appealed it but it would have taken weeks you know so so that so the algorithms that whatever they try to do, which we know they're going to do in an automated kind of way, because they, they can't spend the money to have, you know, yeah. have legions of human beings reviewing every little thing are always going to be imperfect. Right. But so it is just one of those trade-offs, you know, where like for every kind of unfair strike that someone like yourself or Chris might get, you know, there, there might be, you know, a thousand act true positives, right? So, mm -hmm. you know, so that's, that's really, but that's, that's like a technical question, right? Most people also have a problem with the tech companies being the ones who decide, yeah, mm -hmm. which is, which is a very reasonable concern to have. And one, one that I've voiced myself, um, previously very strongly, um, look, but I, I think the thing to acknowledge is, and you know, look, everyone likes free speech. Free speech is a good thing, right? Yeah, it's pretty cool. <laughs> it's pretty cool. It, it, it's like democracy. Democracy is a good thing, right? Yeah. Yeah, we, we all agree on that. Um, 
But, you know, we have democracy, but we don't have direct democracy. Like we don't have people voting on every single, like with a plebiscite on every single, on their smartphones, on every single little decision. We have representative democracy, which is actually slightly less democratic, mm -hmm. right, than the other one. But it's universally acknowledged to just work better, right? Mm -hmm. Now, the same goes for free speech. Like people, even people that are very strongly in favor of free speech and even free speech absolutists, many of which would not have a problem, say, with Spotify not hosting a podcast on Holocaust denialism, for instance, mm -hmm. right? Or would not, you know, it's the fire and the crowded theater type idea as well. People do not have a problem with, with actual direct exhortations to commit violence, right? Mm -hmm. And furthermore, people don't have a problem with, you know, deplatforming or preventing the spread or, you know, the, 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 um, the advertisement or propaganda for stuff, say, um, promoting, uh, health treatments, yeah, snake oil stuff. Like there's, mm -hmm. you know, there are, there are dangerous products that some people, people will try to monetize and sell that are dangerous to people. Yeah. So, so people, so even people that are really, you know, not really strongly on that line do not have a problem with those things. So there clearly is always a line. And mm -hmm. so. I think the question always is, does this material cross, cross the red line? And, uh, look, in, in my view, you know, Rogan's recent stuff, um, McCulloch Malone, this, it is, it is full ball, um, uh, paranoid, conspiratorial, yeah. um, anti-vax misinformation that isn't, it's, it's different from say, believing that the moon landing was a hoax because it, there is a direct, uh, um, uh, inference about your health decisions, right? Go, running out and buying, buying ivermectin, right? Instead of getting vaccinated, um, is killing people in the yeah. United States where vaccination rates are quite low. So, um, so I don't think any of us should just try to, I mean, it, it's very tempting to go for a sort of an absolutist or kind of rights-based position because it's simple and easy. You say, you know, you know, I, you know, disagree with what you say, but I'll defend to the death, you're right to say it, you know, mm -hmm. and just to take that thing. But really what that is, is avoiding the issue. And it's inconsistent because, because there's always, there are always things that are beyond the pale. The, the tough problem that we need to embrace is that is, is, is we have to figure out where, where that line is about where, where the boundary of reasonable, fair, spe even speculation and so on is and yeah. what lies beyond it. And I'm not pretending it's an easy question. I'm not pretending there isn't sort of costs and benefits, mm -hmm. um, but I think we need to accept it. Yeah. So I, I just got a few more questions for you, Matt, but let me, let me ask you this. So let's, let's imagine, let's, let's imagine that Joe Rogan was the person he thinks he is, right? He just has people on from <laughs> both sides of arguments. He preaches them both. Like if, if he, like, let's say he had Malone and McCullough on and he challenged them for three hours straight, right? Where's your evidence? Where did that study come from? Hey, did you know that that study was debunked? Hey, that, uh, you know, that, 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 uh, place that did that research, there was some fringe, like Christian group that nobody respects, right? Let's say he pushed them like super hard. Then like, do you think that would be acceptable? Right? Like if it was being challenged, cause it does, like, I see what you're saying when it has like the whole, like, oh, just come here and just say everything that you want and I'll just agree with you. Like that's mm -hmm. dangerous. But if he was challenging it the way that we would hope he would, do you think that that changes 
that a little bit. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Because now you have the misinformation, but you don't have somebody who's just like, uh-huh, uh-huh. uh-huh. <laughs> you yeah. know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. Look, I mean, there's different bars, is there? When you say acceptable, like, do I think it's a good idea? Do I think it's mm-hmm. a helpful thing? Do I think it's a positive thing? Do I think it should be allowed? You know what I mean? Or allowed in yeah. by Spotify. So there's a whole different ways to answer that, right? Mm-hmm. Um, look, I think, yeah, depending on the topic, having um, crazies on, <laughs> to to uh, challenge them can be a good idea. Like if their ideas are already spreading, you know, already very prevalent and a lot mm. of people are buying into them, then um, it may well be helpful to have them on debate. I'm, I'm actually, I'm not a big fan of debate culture. Me neither. Um, yeah. Because because the thing is, is that people that are pushing this information are generally very good at, at a whole bunch of rhetorical techniques yeah. that, um, that means that the debate gives this doesn't really like the yeah look it what, what would what we'd all like to be true is that there's this open marketplace of ideas right yeah. and 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 the idea and good ideas and bad ideas sort of rub up against each other and come into competition and the good ideas win out because they're supported by evidence and are more reasonable and coherent that's what mm-hmm. we'd like to be true um unfortunately it's just not the case propaganda and misinformation is intuitively and emotionally compelling yeah. and people who are promoting it are often very good at a variety of rhetorical techniques like gish galloping and, mm-hmm. or, or using the sciencey sounding language make, making up terms like mass formation yeah. psychosis yes so you know it's it's a tough one um yeah, yeah. no i uh, i i i a thousand percent agree and i i never have a good way of phrasing this but i i it just feels like a lot there's a lot of really dumb people where like the bad ideas aren't going to win out because they're emotionally driven and everything like that but like even with the gish gallop i wrote a a substack piece where you know i think i think the first episode of yours that i listened to was when uh you were covering uh rogan i think it was when he had jocko on before you guys did the follow-up with mccullough and malone and stuff but anyways uh, I, 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 so I personally started like with, with a lot of the current mandates and the way the science has been kind of updated. And we know that Omicron's like breaking through the vaccines and everything, you know, and then seeing people still like acting like we're still like pre-vaccine era kind of, you know, I, I had this kind of a little bit of skepticism and that's when the McCullough episode came out and it was just three hours of this guy saying all these sciencey things. He has a computer there with so many studies. And just because like, uh, it, you know, I, I know there's like truth default theory, but like, I'm the opposite. I'm skeptical of everyone at first until they prove themselves. So I was like, this guy just said this stuff for three hours. And unless I go do some more research, there's no way if I'll know that he's, he, you know, whether yeah. he's saying is, is true no. or not. And, uh, it, and that's, what's difficult is a lot of people aren't, you know, I'm not special. I'm just a really big skeptic, but a lot of people aren't going to listen to a three hour Rogan podcast and go try to disprove like, no, uh, Donald right. Trump was great at that technique. Right. You'd mm-hmm. have to, you'd have to spend hours fact checking everything he said in 90 seconds. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. Really difficult. Yeah. yeah in, in a way, the, the sort of, um, the sort of this heterodox and free speech absolutist kind of point of view is is caveat emptor right like if you you know these are this is just a guy telling you his ideas having this conversation if you're if you're dumb enough to believe that then that's on you right yeah. you you need to take responsibility for your own decisions and your own opinions right mm-hmm. it's very much a self-responsibility model right 
But as you say, it's not reasonable to expect a casual listener to Joe Rogan to be able to debunk and see what's wrong yeah. with, with a lot of that gish assertions that are made by someone like Malone or McCullough, who are very practiced at speaking in a sciencey way, have all of these, basically it is spurious misinformation that they're presenting, but it is superficially extremely compelling and sounds very sciencey. Now you, you may be the sort of person who goes out and searches like a, um, a debunking done by someone who is, is, is better at that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, that there is an account called debunk the funk, which I recommend. Yeah, no, very, he's, great. he's great. And, and he does do that. Um, but you know, it's not reasonable in my view to expect all of us to, to be, have to do that all the time. Um, it's the same way. Like if, if you go to the chemist and you, and you, you, you're looking for some sort of thing for a headache right? Yeah. It shouldn't be on you to go, do I need to check that this doesn't have arsenic in it mm. and, and, and so on? Yeah. Like every time, um, you know, there are, so, you know, I guess I'm a, look, I'm, I'm a milk toast kind of centristy um, moderate <laughs> in, in many, in many ways, but I guess that's where I land on this. Um, yeah. yes, you know, speculation's good. It's, it's okay. It's, you know, disagreement, um, and people who counteract the mainstream, that's fine. That's good. By, by all means, let a thousand flowers bloom, but, um, please let's, let's have some yeah, we, we 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 can't have no standards whatsoever. Yeah, no, it's it's why I'm always I'm always torn on this this type of thing because I know it's it's just it, it, it's ridiculous to expect people to do that kind of research all the time. And I think that's a great analogy. Like, you know, am I going to check double check my medication every time? Like, you know, we all have lives. We have you know we have kids. We have jobs. We have all these things. Most people are listening to this on their way to work or while they're yeah. working out. They're not going to go home and like <laughs> you know. And I'm, it's just like I'm just naturally like, oh, let's see what they have to say. But anyways, one of the last things I wanted to talk to you about because uh, yeah, it's it's I, I've been curious uh, is Russell Brand. All right. Mm. So you guys covered him a long time ago. And just my brief history with Russell Brand. I was never like a huge fan of his like comedy and like movies and stuff like that. But when I got sober early in my sobriety, I found out he was sober. He released his book. I was like two or three years sober. He released his book Recovery. And I, I really enjoyed it. I really enjoyed the way he covered the 12 steps because a lot of people had misconceptions, all that kind of stuff. But kind of what you guys talk about in your episode about him, which focused on his kind of like spirituality aspect. Uh, yeah. He gets like really out there and like says all these things and like goes round and round. And that's, that's where I'm like, all right, Russell, calm down. But yeah. anyways, you guys covered Russell a while ago. And I yeah. like, I don't know if you guys have been keeping up and I have his like YouTube channel in, in front of me. And since then, it seems like he's, he's almost like JP Sears version 2.0, right? <laughs> yeah. Like everything's. Yeah questioning the establishment big pharma uh one of his newest videos that has a million views is defending joe rogan and all these other things and Mm. and like it it's breaking my heart it is breaking my heart matt because of the good that i know russell could do i used to recommend his book recovery when i was working at a drug and alcohol rehab i'm like read this read this so to see him it feels like he's chasing that kind of you know like oh 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 if i do this kind of content so So yeah, I don't know if you've been keeping up with it. Is there a, a second Russell Brand episode coming? What are your What are your thoughts on the the route Russell's been going? Uh, look, I think a second Russell Brand episode is definitely warranted. Yeah, I've seen the same kind of thing you have there, and Chris has too. And uh, yeah, it's wild, isn't it? Um, look, Russell Brand, like he, he always had that aspect to him, right? He's this sort of poet, poetic, spiritual, fast talking, 
kind of free association, yeah. you know, crazy wisdom, right? And, you know, sometimes that's, that's cool. You know, like if you're talking, you know, if, especially, you know, I might be talking about your personal experiences with addiction and stuff like that and sharing that sort of thing. Mm -hmm. And, you know, people can get, you know, insights from that and it can't, it work, it can work, you know, and I, it, it, you know, I'd say the same of Jordan Peterson, you know, like if, yeah. if when Jordan Peterson, you know, back 12 rules for life and he's talking that, that kind of, you know, mm -hmm. self-responsibility, you know, you know, put yourself up by your bootstraps kind of thing. If you're, a, if you're a, you know, you could be a person at a certain time of life struggling with certain things and that language can, can speak to you. Um, it doesn't always mean that that modality is gonna, you know, it's not a, it, it can lead, if you start talking about more scientific type things or naturalistic, materialistic things, that, that approach, that poetic kind of yeah. approach can lead you up the garden path now, but God, um, um, he, Russell Brand is such an interesting character because he, he's, he like JP Sears, um, he's, he's, he's sort of part of this sort of weird horseshoe type thing. Yeah. Yep. That's, exactly. That's going on. And, you know, there's another podcast called Conspirituality, which is a, a very good one, which, which covers this sort of inter, this sort of, um, intersection between sort of natural wellness and spirituality mm -hmm. and alternative health and so on. And this weird kind of paleo conservatism, uh, you know, quite, a, quite like this new form of conservatism. Like I'm not yeah, talking, really I'm, I'm not talking about, you know, Ronald Reagan type conservatism. I'm talking about this kind of really weird kind of, you know, you only eat red meat and, you know, you know, men need to do this and women need to do that. And yeah. it's, it, it's, it's, it's a new thing. And, and so Russell Brand, you know, as you say, sort of, he's, you know, was, you know, was always this kind of free thinker and anti-institutional kind of person, very much mm -hmm. skeptical of mainstream narratives and that, but sort of coming from that sort of this like revolutionary leftish kind of point of view and what he's quite easily transitioned to that sort of paranoid, right. And what it, to, to my mind, it's really just an example of how the political landscape has shifted and it is not so much a kind of your sort of left wing, right wing thing anymore. Yeah. It's actually more that, that there is this, um, very strange kind of new kind of anti-institution, anti-establishment, hyper-skeptical, conspiratorial, don't trust it you know, any of them type thing. And it is anti-scientific as well, even though many of them do pay lip service to a scientific worldview. Yeah. I mean, um, um, Brett, Brett Weinstein is the perfect example of this and Heather Hain too, who, who present themselves as being these exemplars of, of good scientific thinking, mm -hmm. but actually what they have, um, is this, is this naturalistic natural is best, essentially woo kind of, yeah. kind of, um, thing. So, um, so yeah, it concerns me. Um, and, um, it's, um, Russell Brand is just such a fascinating character. Um, and yeah, he's, he's another case where I think that there's an interplay with the kind of person who becomes a guru or is susceptible to these things. I mean, Russell Brand as just the kind of guy he is, I think you can see how yeah. he would be susceptible. Yeah, it's really it's really weird too because he's very uh self he's like self aware of it because a lot of us addicts and stuff like we think we're you know we think we're you know super like great and all these other we think a lot and he'll call himself out on that but then it seems like he also plays into it but um yeah yeah, yeah. You, you know just that kind of 
and uh, kind of one of the last things I want to touch on that I was just thinking of is like, there's this really fine line. Like I am like a left-leaning liberal progressive. Like I wanted Bernie Sanders to be president. I think big pharma, like, cause my drug was prescription uh, opioids. Right. So I'm yeah. like skeptical of big pharma and uh, you know, the, 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 the weight that they put on our government to like <laughs> all these other yep. things. Right. So I'm so skeptical of them. Right. But there's there's a whole group of people like me where it seems like there's this fine line where they could dip into that kind of conservatism that you're talking about, where it quickly became like, nope, don't trust any science, don't trust any institution. Mm. Where yeah. like so it went from like this skepticism to this absolute like, oh, the government's trying to control you, they're trying to make mm. you do this. Don't like you you guys talked about this with JP Sears and I, I had no idea, by the way, when I heard uh, Chris on Megan Down's podcast, I was like, wait, did you say JPC is like the guy who made those funny YouTube videos? I had yeah. no idea. And I was showing my girlfriend and, but it's weird. Like, have you noticed that how some liberals have had this kind of horseshoe where they yeah. dip and it's weird too, with all the polarization that this is kind of the thing that has brought the two sides together, you know, like now you have like conservatives and liberals who are like anti-backs or whatever, but yeah, I, I'm curious what, what that is. Oh man, I mean that's that's like a that's a huge topic in itself, isn't it? It's, yeah. it's um it's kind of the direction the modern world is going. I mean, look, I, I'm no political scientist or anything, so this is out <laughs> of my you know field. But I mean, it does seem that there's a big um political reorientation going on. You know, yeah. like like left leaning parties used to be the parties of you know the working class or whatever against big companies and corporations and 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 so on. Um. And, and the right wing used to be like, you know, responsibility, you know, um, you know, conform to the, you know, what, what the, the system is telling you to do, you know what I mean? Um, mm -hmm. and so on. Um, and that, that, that there's that reorientation where the right has become much more populist and, and more institutional and, and the left has become more sort of statist, if you like, more, more kind mm -hmm. of like, and also the party of, you know, professionals and academics and, and people like that who are part of the system. Right. So, um, yeah, it's a confusing time to be thinking about politics. I mean, <laughs> I, um, so yeah, look, um, look, my, my sympathies, look, I'm, I'm just, I think my advice for most people look, look is, I, I think you've been saying the same thing, which is that, yes, it's good to be skeptical. Yeah. You know, institutions and the system does get it wrong heaps. You know, the, the Tuskegee, you know, um, mm -hmm. experiments is a terrible example. The, the opioid academic, uh, epidemic in the United States, another huge failing, right. Mm -hmm. Of, of regulation and, and, you know, pharma and so on, you know, we could make a great big list of all the ways in which our, you know, the, the liberal systems that we, and, and institutions that we've created have failed, right? Even on COVID, right? There's a nice big list of things where they've gotten a bunch of things wrong. Um, but I think perfection, you know, perfection is, we shouldn't expect that, you know, yeah. you know, um, like think about the conduct of world war two, right? It was, it was just one huge mistake after the, the, mm -hmm. the next, you know, because in an unfolding, um, emergency, it's very difficult to get everything right all the time. Um, so it's just about getting that balance, right? Um, like when it comes to skepticism, yes, be appropriately skeptical, um, but not conspiratorial and paranoid. Yeah. You know? and, and, and about your institutions. Yes. 
you know, hold their feet to the fire when they get stuff wrong and demand, you know, reforms and changes and for them not to make that mistake again, by all means, be an activist in that sense. But I'm not a, I think, um, I think a revolution where we burn it all down, dismantle <laughs> the institutions. And by the yeah. way, you know, as you sort of said, you know, this sort of reorientation, like the left and the right do this. Yeah. Abolish the police. Yeah. You know, you've got the left saying abolish the police. You've got the right saying we need to abolish the universities, right? The, yeah. the common populist thread is kind of just burn it all down and sort of start again. Um, look, I, I suggest that's a bad idea. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, it took, a, it took a while to get all these things organized and, you know, there's a lot of logistics to think yeah. of, but, but yeah, like, uh, yeah, I guess one of my favorite sayings, I forgot where it originated was like, keep an open mind, but not so open that your brain falls out. Right. That's like yeah. have this kind of skepticism, but know, know where the line is. Right. Like, yep. like, for example, I'm skeptical of big pharma and, you know, here in the States, they can do direct to consumer marketing, but. Yeah. Like I got my damn vaccine. Like I'm not that skeptical. I'm like, okay, you know, these are these are apples and uh, apples and oranges, and uh, you know, there's a lot of nuance in these things. But yeah, but, but yeah. So uh, Matt, I, I've kept you here a very long time. I appreciate your time so much. I've been dying to have you on. So uh, yeah, for everybody listening who uh, is unfamiliar with it, where where can they find you? Follow the podcast, all that kind of good stuff. Okay, cool. Thanks, man. Um, yeah, look, it was awesome to be on here. I really enjoyed having this chat. It was great. Um, yeah, look, so our podcast is Decoding the Gurus. Um, the Twitter handle is Gurus Pod, I think. <laughs> I've forgotten it. <laughs> anyway, so I, I'm on Twitter under a pseudonym of Arthur C. Dent because Arthur Dent, the character from Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, is my spirit animal. Um, <laughs> but uh, I, I'm not really, um, um, I'm not really anonymous. Uh, and that'll do. Yeah. Um, that, that's, that's how you can find our podcast and, um, yeah. Beautiful. Well, well, yeah. Thanks for coming on. And yeah, we'll do this. We'll do this again sometime after we get Russell Brand 2.0 and some other, some other episodes. Sounds good, Chris. Thanks, Matt. All right, everybody. I hope you enjoyed that conversation with Matt Brown from the Decoding Gurus podcast. Uh, you know, before, before we even set this thing up, uh, I was like, Hey man, you got to give me like, uh, uh, an amount of time that you could be on because I could talk about this stuff all day. And that hour and a half, just like it flew by, but yeah, I'm super glad he was able to come on and, you know, uh, talk with him about everything going on with, uh, you know, these gurus and all that kind of stuff. I, uh, I, 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 I do think that him and Chris, uh, are doing such a, a great service. You know what I mean? Um, something I, I mentioned and, you know, uh, something that kind of goes along with my final thoughts on this is that for all the misinformation that goes out there for some of the, you know, just, uh, stuff going on in the guru sphere, like that I see as kind of like, you know, the virus and these guys are like the antidote. Right. And I truly believe that we need to, you know, no matter what we're listening to, we need to go and see what the best counter arguments are and then kind of make a decision from there and take a step back. So I do think they're doing like a really, really good thing with their podcast. I'm so glad that I came across it. And, you know, for all of you, for all of you in my audience, shame on you. I don't know why it's taken so long for you all to tell me about their podcast, but, but yeah, like I, I, I told Matt, like I just started binging it and, uh, I kind of like that, you know, it's kind of like after a, a season's over and you got a whole bunch to watch rather than have to wait all the time. So it's been cool catching up. So yeah, huge, huge thanks to Matt. Uh, make sure you're following him and Chris down, uh, in the description below, I've linked, uh, to their Twitter accounts as well as the decoding gurus podcast. But yeah, I just wanted to wrap up with some final thoughts because like, 
I've been having a lot of really inter uh, interesting conversations on Twitter, um, both uh, publicly as well as a lot in the DMs. It's, you know, one thing I will say is whenever stuff like this happens, I'm glad because it, it gets a conversation going. And there's so many other parts of this conversation that uh, are important, like as a whole, right? When it comes to deplatforming, when it comes to free speech, when it comes to misinformation, uh, for example, I have Nicholas Christakis coming on and we talk a bit about this. I'm probably going to release that next week, even though I was going to hold on to it for a while. Um, but yeah, I, I, I talked to him about it too, and you'll see his opinion differs a little bit from Matt's and everything. And yeah, it, with all the conversations I'm having, it's just like, I could see like from an outside perspective, and maybe this is just like my own, like insecurity is that people like might look at me as like, oh, Chris, you're like. You're like on both sides of this thing, right? Like you, you criticize Joe Rogan, but you don't think he should be deplatformed. You know, you attack him and you defend him. And like, if if any of you are thinking that or anybody thinks that, uh, I just think like this world and everything in it is way too complex and nuanced to just have like, like just completely encapsulate somebody with just like one opinion. You know what I mean? People are complex; they have different parts of themselves. And and yeah, like for example. If you have a friend, right, you may like the way they, you know, interact with their family, but you think they're a jerk to people, you know, in the service industry, right? Like people are different in different situations. And, you know, like Joe Rogan, I don't think he's a nefarious, terrible person. And that's, you know, kind of what I was talking to Matt about. Like I, I often think about and read about and try to learn about like self-deception and denial and something I, I try to monitor within myself as much as possible. But like Matt and I discussed, like there's no way to completely eliminate yourself from these biases. And I think that's a lot of what um, I've been talking with people about. And, you know, so basically my overall thoughts, I'll just kind of like give you a list of kind of where I stand on things. So Joe Rogan in particular, I, I don't think he's a bad person. I've said this a million times. I just don't think he's self-aware of his biases. And that's what Matt and I talk about, right? And I do see a lot of people defending Joe Rogan when I bring this up and they're like, well, you know, nobody's, you know, uh, immune to biases. And it's like, that's not what I'm saying. It's just when, when you just truly believe, when you truly believe that you, you are just, you know, this middle of the road person and you're not like, it's like, when do you take a step back and say, okay, maybe I'm not that person, right? Maybe I'm not the person, uh, you know, because there's like identity uh, protective cognition, right? We protect, we protect this idea of ourselves, right? And it's one of the reasons I have so many people on where we talk about how important it is to be able to update and change your beliefs. That's so important. But, and I think so because it saved my life when I got sober. And I've said this a thousand times and I, I bring it up all the time. All right. Because there's this like misconception that, you know, anybody who criticizes Rogan hasn't listened to his episodes, Matt and Chris sure as hell <laughs> listen to his episodes, but yeah, I have listened to hours upon hours upon hours upon hours of Rogan. And most of the time I am just miserable, right? Like I listened to the entire James Lindsay episode and it was it was an awful experience, right? But I do it, and a lot of people disagree with me doing that, which is interesting. But anyways, I do listen, and here's what I, I keep telling people. Joe, like, Joe Rogan thinks that he's, you know, being equal, but if you just count the number of fact checks, it's very apparent, and I don't know, I don't know if he would kind of wake up to the fact that he's not who he thinks he is 
if you showed him that data, right? If you showed him like, listen, you are not pushing back against both sides the way the way uh, you think you are, right? And I think I am a little bit more charitable in that sense uh, than some others, but but I think that's you know that's the issue. But part of this larger conversation, something I was just talking with Matt about, is you know at what point do you have like an ethical responsibility, right? Because you know Matt Matt you know and Chris they have a large podcast. Me when I blew up on YouTube, there comes a point where you're like, okay, this thing has grown bigger than I thought. And I think this is something that maybe all content creators should think about because a lot of us don't start making anything thinking it's going to go anywhere, you know, or sometimes we have hopes, but for a lot of people, it doesn't pan out, but there's, there's a certain point where you got to say, okay, I've grown to a certain size. Now I need to reassess and reevaluate what I'm doing. And Joe Rogan is different than all of us because he is number one. And with that, I personally believe that there's a certain amount of responsibility. All right. So those are my thoughts on Joe Ro Rogan and everything like that. Now, as far as, you know, misinformation, censorship, deplatforming and all of that, this is something that I just, I, I understand, I understand the arguments for censoring or, you know, uh, limiting, you know, uh, what, uh, people can say, I understand all that. Right. And like Mal was saying, I get that we can't expect people. Like I know when I listen to six hours of uh, Joe Rogan between the, you know, McCullough and Malone uh, episodes alone. And then I go spend hours upon hours researching to see what's correct or not correct. I can't expect that of other people, you know, but still, even with that, I, I just can't agree with deplatforming. I, it just, it doesn't make sense to me. The end result doesn't make sense. Um, you know, I was just listening to another podcast and the reality is he would find another platform, right? Like, Donald Trump is still talking to his people and that scares the hell out of me because now I don't know what he's saying to his people. Alex Jones still exists, you know? So I don't see the benefit of it. I do think that there are some things that we could do, but uh, one thing that's not being brought up nearly enough is that I do not and have not personally seen the data that shows that someone switches from being, you know, hey, I'm pro-vaccine, and now all of a sudden I listen to a podcast, now I'm anti-vaccine, right? All the data and studies that I've come across, and I read a lot of books about misinformation, and, you know, I always reference, like, Chris Bale's amazing book. He's uh, He was on the podcast. He's the director of the Duke Polarization Lab. The evidence in there does not show that people are just completely flipping sides based on misinformation or polarization or whatever, right? Um, Hugo Mercier, he has a great book called Not Born Yesterday, and it's all about trust and why we believe people and all that. And he references some studies in there too about misinformation. And if anything, the research shows that people just get more entrenched in their beliefs rather than switching their beliefs, right? So it's hard for me to justify, like if, if, the, if the research said otherwise and said like, oh man, we had thousands of people who are pro-vaccine, they listen to two or three podcasts, now they're anti-vaccine, right? Like, then I'd be like, okay, maybe, maybe we should adjust this a little bit, but I haven't seen the evidence, so I can't get on board with the the censorship aspect of it. Um, and, and yeah, like Matt discussed too, censorship is kind of like, you know, uh, if the government is suppressing, and then there's a whole situation where the White House made a statement on it, right? But I do think this is a complex and nuanced conversation. At the end of the day, um, I do think Joe Rogan has some responsibility, but one of the reasons I have this podcast and I write so much and I educate myself so much is because I think all of us, you, me, every single person on this planet, 
we have a personal responsibility as well to, you know, research, uh, educate ourselves about these biases, educate ourselves about, you know, why we listen to things that agree with us, why we, you know, experience cognitive dissonance when, you know, we find uh, evidence that counters what we believe and all that. Like it's a, it's a complicated situation and I don't know what the solutions are. I don't know what the, the ethical answers are for, you know, uh, you know, uh, Spotify versus Joe Rogan versus all of us and all these things. And the last thing I'll say too, is something that a lot of people bring up, which is extremely true is that there's not, there's, there's none of this type of backlash towards the misinformation that just mainstream media or even independent media spreads, right? If any of you follow me on Twitter, I've been ranting about this for like the last week because everybody's saying, oh, look, Spotify's uh, stocks have tanked as a result of Joe Rogan. And that is so false. And nobody is talking about it. Absolutely nobody is talking about it. Uh, I invest and eventually I, I want to have some more, you know, finance people on here to talk about their books on investing and everything because, you know, I learned that way too late in life. But there's no evidence that this is what happened. The entire stock market has been doing terrible, terrible for weeks now. All right. And, and people were just hyper-focusing on, on Spotify stock while completely disregarding the thousands of other stocks that were dropping just as much as Spotify. So it is, it is wrong. It is absolutely wrong to say like, oh, okay, Spotify, because Spotify's uh, stocks are tanking, it must be because of this recent news around Joe Rogan. No, everything in the market was doing that. Uh, that was on Friday. The following Monday, the entire stock market went back up. Spotify regained all of its losses that they had on Friday, just like the rest of the stock market. So anyways, that's my little rant about that because nobody seems to be listening to me about this. But mainstream media, independent media, everybody's sharing uh, that same narrative and it is driving me absolutely bonkers. So I guess I'll end by saying stay skeptical, right? And like I was saying with Matt, one of my favorite sayings out there is keep an open mind but not so open that your brain falls out, all right? Know how to be skeptical, but know when the skepticism needs to stop, when you need to start trusting people, what amount of evidence will change your mind or, or help you, you know, stay with what you're believing, whatever it is, right? Have these kind of like uh, measures in your mind, okay? But everybody from independent to mainstream, I, I hate this battle between independent and mainstream and independent media. It's like, oh, mainstream does this. All of the same biases, all the same misinformation tactics, all the same, you know, branding and influence and all that stuff. All of it is in independent media as well. So don't be fooled. All of us are just flawed human beings. Try to make our way through this world. All right. But anyways, this this podcast went so, so long. If you made it this far, I appreciate you. You're a real one. And yeah, I love you. Okay. So yeah, make sure you're following me over on Instagram and Twitter at the rewired soul. So you don't miss my, my rantings <laughs> stuff, but no, in all seriousness, follow me. I love having these conversations. You, you all help me, uh, you know, improve my thinking and the way I view the world. Um, some people have made very strong arguments that help shift my perspective a little bit and yeah, I appreciate you. So make sure you're following me on Instagram and Twitter at the rewired. So, uh, subscribe to the podcast. If you're not yet, leave a rating, leave a review that helps out a lot. Share this episode. Um, and yeah, again, make sure you follow Matt and Chris, uh, over on Twitter and check out the decoding gurus podcast. It is such, it, it, it's one of the most important podcasts. Like I, I don't listen to that many podcasts, but I have just been binging them. 
All right. So make sure you check it out if you're not already one of their, you know, fans like so many of us are. Okay. But anyways, uh, yeah, um, I might have a, another episode for you on Sunday. I want to get this other episode out about uh, social media, mental health, but I might wait. But yeah, stay tuned. We have a lot of great, great episodes coming up. Okay. So have an amazing rest of your day and I'll see you next time.